Hey, welcome to a new episode of Last Call Baseball, number 124. If you didn't manage to catch last week's episode, we changed our name from Hipster Baseball Podcast to Last Call Baseball. You're asking, why did you change the name? I'm doing it to stay one step ahead of artificial intelligence because you probably heard that the Hollywood writers and the actors are on strike right now. They're worried about AI as well. I'm joking. I'm not worried about AI. (laughs) You know who's worried? couple of New York Mets fans. Did you hear? Max Scherzer, future Hall of Famer, was just traded to the Texas Rangers. Max Scherzer is leaving the New York Mets, the bright lights of Queens, the bright, the bright, amazing subway, the, the seven line in New York, going from the fourth place team in the American League East, the American League East, in the National League East. The Mets, I feel like they've been stuck on this number for a while. They're 18 games behind the Atlanta Braves. And when I looked at the standings before I started recording, the Mets are actually closer in the standings to the last place Washington Nationals, one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball, than they are to the third place Miami Marlins. And the Marlins have been in a free fall, but they're still in the mix to go in the playoffs. I, I was really surprised to see that the Mets were closer to the Nationals in, fourth, in, the, in last place than they were the team, the team supposedly ahead of them, the third place Miami Marlins. So Scherzer's going to... The first place Texas Rangers, first place in the American League West, just I think they were a game ahead of the Houston Astros, the defending World Series champions. I was surprised. Be honest, you're surprised that they also traded Max Scherzer because last week I said that the Mets were probably going to trade Justin Verlander. I didn't expect them to trade Max Scherzer. The Mets shortstop Francisco Lindor also surprised. He said, quote, we're trying to beat, we're trying to better the organization. That's why I don't call it a rebuild. I still think we can go on a run this year, end quote. And, he, and Lindor said that to reporters after the news of Scherzer being traded broke. I've been saying this now for weeks that I still believe in the New York Mets. They're going to do a second half stir, surge. They're going to make it to the playoffs because at the end of the day, you just have to make it into the tournament. For, no one's going to care about what you did in the regular season as long as you get into the tournament. Now with Scherzer gone, you know darn well Verlander's probably going to be gone. Pete Alonso was saying that he was just shocked. He was stupefied. I forget what word he said because he realized he's, he may be traded. Frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if Lindor is traded. But the thing is that his contract is so massive and he's underperformed it now for, I believe, two seasons. He's probably not going anywhere. And what a way to end baseball in New York. You have the Yankees up in the Bronx with their issue, with their horrible injury issues. And it feels like Aaron Boone is the end of his his tenure. Brian Cashman, the general manager, who knows if he's at the end of his tenure. The Yankees are in what, third or fourth place? Or are they in last place? I want to thank the last call baseball bullpen here. That's right. The Yankees are in last place in the American League East. The Mets in fourth place. There may not be any playoff baseball in New York, which seriously, I'm not a hater. I'm telling you right now, but I would love it. Because ESPN would lose their freaking minds, unable to show New York Yankees baseball at 7 o'clock prime time every single time the Yankees are in the playoffs. And they would go crazy having to put the Baltimore Orioles, the Atlanta Braves, the Arizona Diamondbacks to that prime 7 p.m. Wednesday night in October playoff games. I can't stand ESPN sometimes. It just, wait, what are we talking about here? We're talking. We're talking about the Rangers. We're talking about Scherzer. We're talking about New York. I want to talk real quick on who the Mets received for Max Scherzer. 
a 21-year-old shortstop currently in double-A by the name of Luis Angel Acuna. Acuna, that name's ring. Very familiar. Because Luis Angel Acuna is the brother of the Atlanta Braves superstar Ronald Acuna Jr. Right now, Acuna, Acuna, Luis Angel Acuna, he's hitting 315 in AA. He's had he has he's hit seven home runs, over 50 RBIs. I think he's the third ranked prospect in the Rangers farm system. And now that he's going over to the Mets, he's probably the first or the second prospect in all of the Mets farm system. I don't think anyone is saying that Luis Angel Acuna is going to be like his brother because Luis Angel, number one, is 21 years old. I think Acuna Jr. was with the Braves when he was like 19 years old. So Acuna, he was already a star by the time his brother now is still in double A, but he'll probably make it to the majors sometime next year, I would say. On balance, you have the Mets giving up a 16-year-old vet who's, if you look at his numbers, and I'm not going to go through them now because that's not really what I do too much, but his numbers are way off of his career expectations. He's, he's, like I said, he's been pitching now for 16 years. This is almost like back in elementary school when you're reading those choose-your-own-adventure books. Which way do you want to go? Would the Mets have been better off staying with the back end of his career, Max Scherzer? Or say, hey, there's this guy who has good bloodlines. His brother is a superstar in Major League Baseball. And let's see if we can get something out of him in a year or two. I think it's a good trade for the Rangers because... Even if Max Scherzer is rejuvenated his renaissance for at least two months and he pitches like Max freaking Scherzer and the Rangers go deep into the playoffs, maybe even win the World Series, it'll be worth all the ridiculous money that they have to, get to give Max Scherzer. Because as they say, flags fly forever. And on the Mets point of view, they're like, as Uncle Steve, the Mets owner said, this is a sunk cost. That's, that money's already been paid. Let's get someone out. Let's set, let let's get this guy out. Let's bring someone in. So we'll see if Acuna, if Luis, if Luis Angel Acuna becomes a serviceable, maybe even an All Star level player with the New York Mets in the next two years, let's say. But that choose your own adventure is actually a question I asked this week's guest. Why do we trade vets for prospects, and why do we overvalue prospects? This week. Our special guest is Kyle Glazer, senior writer at Baseball America and host of The Behind the Plate. Kyle, welcome to Last Call Baseball. Hey, thanks for having me. First off, I'm going to tell everyone, I am very excited. Whenever I get a Baseball America guy on here, I love it because I am one of the biggest fans of Baseball America, what you guys do. And just the, the it's for me, it's a combination of all of you, most of you guys is the enthusiasm for baseball and the insane knowledge that you guys have like do you guys have to do like some kind of basic military training just to even be hired at baseball america no uh we do have to prove we know what we're talking about though i mean most of us um played in some capacity uh have reported on baseball for years before we joined baseball america and have an understanding of what it looks like at every level you know i came into this i'd been a major league beat writer I'd also covered the minor leagues. I had, you know, done some work covering the draft in terms of local high schoolers at my newspapers before this. So, yeah, I mean, you have to come in showing that you know your stuff and as well as just being a, a good writer, reporter, and journalist. Uh, you know, we're a place that likes to um, operate at kind of the, the top of the market, if you will. I mean, we want to make sure, you know, everything we're putting out there meets the journalistic standards of, of accuracy and, and quality that people come to expect. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got to know your stuff. You, you can't fake it really anywhere, but especially at Baseball America. 
yeah, again, you guys have been an insane. It's inspiring. And I consider myself as big of a baseball fan as your normal person. You know, I'll watch some games, highlights, read up on the news. But how in the world do people in your position where you're a reporter or even the I'm not going to ask you for talk about to, to speak for scouts, but how do you watch and consume so much baseball? Because I'm like, again, that knowledge part just blows my mind of how much baseball you're able to consume. Like, how how do you do it? <laughs> Give me like a one on one tip. I mean, you've got to love it. I think it's one of those things where, A, you know, look, this is our full-time job. So we have to put in the work, the time, the hours to do it. Um, you know, it's a full 40-hour week job. Again, this is our sole focus. So that's a big part of it, being able to set aside the time to to do it like that. I, I don't think, I can only speak for myself. I would not be able to do the job to the level I would feel comfortable putting my work out there if I had another job on top of this, uh, just the depth we have to go to, the hours it takes to really put in the work and the reporting. Um, you know, having it be your full-time job is is a big part of it. Um, but you also have, to, also have to love it. I mean, there's definitely times where, you know, dog days of August, you're at your, you know, 125th game of the year and, you know, you're just kind of burning up and, and you kind of, you know, it feels like a little bit of a grind sometimes, but then you realize, hey, I could be selling insurance, you know, at 7 a.m. on Monday morning. So I think it's the fact, A, it's our full-time job and B, you know, keeping in perspective of, you know, even when there's those times where, because in any job, there's going to be times where it feels like a little bit of a grind and you feel a little burned out having that perspective and that appreciation for, you know, how fortunate we are to, get to do this for our, our full-time profession and, and, you know, not take it for granted. And you got, and you do uh, obviously a lot, most of your, most of the work you do is covering the minor leagues. And we're, we're about in the 30th anniversary of that famous fire in the press box in the Atlanta Braves back in Fulton County stadium. And that was the night that Fred, after Fred McGriff was traded from the San Diego Padres or from the San Diego area, from the Padres to the Braves, the fire happens, that fantastic pennant happened in 93. And that I actually was thinking about this a few days ago, knowing that I was going to talk with you of why are front offices so reluctant and almost overvaluing some of their minor league players? Because the guys that the Braves sent over to McGriff, this is, I'm not going to ask you to recap a 30 year old trade, but they really didn't amount to much. And then, but more recently, I th I thought of the, the trade for Manny Machado from the Red Sox, not the Red Sox, excuse me, the Dodgers to the Orioles and Mookie Betts, the Dodgers and the Red Sox. And now you you had just published an article on Shohei Otani, which is a hot topic. Will the Angels trade? Will the won't, won't the Angels? All of that put together. Why, in your perspective, are some front office, not, I think across Major League Baseball, so overvaluing when they can e immediately get a proven major league talent a lot of it is familiarity you're gonna like the people you know best and so for all you know i think it's it's funny to me from the outside looking in i think people assume that front offices and you know scouting departments just because they have all these analytical tools you know look at players completely cold-heartedly and have clear out assessments and the reality is most of them don't um, most of them because they have more information about their own players because they've seen most of their own players because they've gotten to know their own players they overvalue their own players. Um, generally speaking, again, there are always exceptions to this and it, and it comes down to accurate evaluation. More often than not, the player that you acquire who's an actual big leaguer is vastly more successful than any prospects you've given up. Uh, I've done multiple studies on this. I found that at the trade deadline, uh, only about between one in four and one in five prospects traded at a trade deadline ever become, you know, even mildly consequential big leaguers, you know, guys who play two seasons in the majors and have a positive career war. 
um, you know, just 20 to 25% of all prospects ever traded. And, you know, you know, for the most part, you're getting a big leader. So you trade these four or five player packages for a star. Odds are only one of those prospects you trade is going to be a big leaguer. And the star you're getting is probably going to be more productive than that one. So um, a lot of times it's teams just being more familiar and and kind of not being clear out about their own prospects. Uh, and on top of it, a lot of it's fear too. You know, no one wants to be the GM who traded Fran Tatis Jr. for James Shields. You know, the Padre, the Dodgers, you know, trading Jordan Alvarez for Josh Fields. That's something to this day the organization talks about and guides their decision-making. They pour so many more resources into scouting their own DSL affiliates now because that deal has left such a scar in the organization. The Dodgers have won 99% of their trades and they've had tons of success even with that trade. But just kind of the emotional scar of having made that deal has fundamentally changed the way the organization does its own evaluations of its own system. So a lot of it is, is again, familiarity and, and fear is a big part of it too. No one wants to be the guy that trades the next great thing when he's a prospect, however unlikely the possibility is. In continuing that theme of fear, unknown, and also staying in Southern California, going back to Shohei Otani, the Angels have come out saying that, no, we're, we're going to go for it this year. But then I read that Artie Moreno was vehemently opposed to trading Otani to the Dodgers. Why the nonsense of in two and a half months' time, if the Angels even make the playoffs, he could just walk over, walk up, walk over the freeway, not walk, whatever, just go up the freeway up to Dodger Stadium for free. What's your perspective on what the Angels are doing? And I don't want to say mismanagement, but just the, the, the one in a million chance of having two of the greatest players of their generation and refusing to trade them away. They, obviously, they, they, they were talking about, not talking, but the rumor was that Mike Trout was going to get traded back in 20, what is it, nah, 2019, the, the offseason. What's your perspective on what the, the, the Angels are trying to do? The Angels have done exactly the right thing. The rumor about trading Mike Trout was back in like 2016, and people were floating, oh, twins for Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano. If the Angels did that, it would have been the worst one of the worst trades of all time. When you have generational all-time talents, you keep them, you build around them. Again, the point is to try and win games. It's not to have the number one ranked farm system. It's not to obtain maximum trade value. It's to win games in the major leagues. In terms of this year, the Angels made exactly the right call. I wrote a column about it uh, earlier this week. They're only three and a half games out of a playoff spot. They're in this race. Trading your best player and sabotaging your playoff chances make no sense. You know, in terms of him be leaving at the end of the year, the Angels' greatest failure as a franchise would be failing to ever make the postseason while having Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. It would not be, oh, we didn't obtain maximum trade value. The point of the game is to win. And they have a shot to make the postseason this year with both of them. They should take it. That's more valuable than you know anything they were probably going to get for Otani as a rental. Um, we've seen teams just not want to pay a ton for rentals. So the Angels made exactly the right call. If they were 10 games out of a playoff spot, it would have been a different calculation. But three and a half back, they're going to play Toronto now, where after that series, in theory, they could be tied. They could be in playoff position with 24 hours to go to the trade deadline. Uh, they have Mike Trout coming back in August, Anthony McGone coming back in August, Logan O'Hoppy coming back in August. Um, this team has treaded water okay. They're not at full strength. They're going to get better when all their players get healthy. They're in the you know, reach a playoff spot right now. Keeping Shohei Otani was absolutely the right thing to do. Again, the goal is to try and get to the playoffs. If you have a chance to do it, you should take it. As a baseball fan, you want to see Shohei Otani play in October. I'm sure you do as well. And watching the World Baseball Classic 
what five, uh, four months ago. That was amazing. I went. I was fortunate enough to go to the couple of games in Miami, and obviously uh, Japan won the the championship. And I think that just juiced up Otani to be to, to really throw water in his face and saying, "I don't think that he needs to be. He should be with the Angels, but he's his own man. He's him and his agent, and everyone is going to make their own decisions." Continuing with, you know so well the California teams, and I think of the San Diego Padres, the LA Dodgers, the Angels, the Giants, and the Athletics. Of those five teams, four of them seem to both seem, from the outside perspective, want to win, and they have more or less good farm systems. But the way the Dodgers develop and spend seem to be a lot more successful than how the Padres, the Angels are doing. From your perspective, what's What's that differentiating between the teams of wanting and spending and actually executing? Yeah, I wrote an article about this a few years ago. You know, for the Dodgers, the biggest thing is they invest in player development to a level that is significantly higher than any other organization in baseball, Angels and Padres included. Angels especially, the Angels do not spend anywhere near enough on player development, Uh, facilities, coaches, training staff, any of it. The Dodgers are ensuring from the moment their players are drafted, They're getting the best coaches, the best nutrition, the best weight training facilities, the best housing, um, all of it. And it helps these, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 year old, you know, young men grow into, you know, men and and be kind of, you know, have that physical component necessary to succeed in major league baseball. Um, The Dodgers investment in player development as well as scouting, you know, people talk about their analytics. They have one of the largest scouting departments in baseball. They understand it's a true blend. Um, they do, they, they combine scouting and analytics probably better than anyone in baseball. The other teams, the Rays, again, everyone talks about the Rays analytics. The Rays also have one of the largest scouting staffs in baseball. You know, the Randy Rosarena trade that was scouting that had analytics had nothing to do with it. Their scouts went down and saw down in Mexico even. Um, so uh, it's something where for the Dodgers, they, they, it's not just about spending money. It's about spending money wisely. The Dodgers, more than anyone else, spend their money in growth areas, again, scouting and player development, and and they spend their money more wisely at the major league level. They will throw big, big money out. You know, you look at Freddie Freeman, you look at Mookie Betts, but, you know, aside from the Trevor Bauer deal, they haven't really had any big money deals go sideways. They spend their money very, very, very smartly. They recognize superstars and they pay them. Clayton Kershaw, they've, you know, given many large contracts to. He's deserved it. You look at the Angels, they haven't always spent their money wisely. Josh Hamilton, Albert Pujols, CJ Wilson, et cetera. Um, the Padres even, they, they've spent a lot. Uh, a lot of them have not been very good or smart deals. The Eric Cosmer deal was a terrible deal. Uh, the James Shields deal did not work out well. You know, the Jake Cronenworth extension this year was so unnecessary and looks like a horrible deal now. You know, so it's it's about spending money wisely. It's not just spending money at the big league level and then also investing in scouting and player development. The Dodgers do both of those things better, not just any California team, but but any team in Major League Baseball, in my opinion. Right. And it's it's incredible, obviously, thinking of back thinking back to the COVID shortened season when there was this argument when the owners were going to pay or not pay the minor leagues. And I thought it was just a lack of decency, but that's that we're, we're not here to make those decisions. You've spent a lot of times reporting in minor league baseball. What's your favorite level of baseball to watch? <laughs> I mean, it is the major leagues. You know, that's, that's what I got into this business to do. And, and that is really my primary role at, at baseball America. I lead our major league coverage covering the world series every year, uh, all-star game world baseball classic, you know, in terms of, of the minor leagues, um, you know, I, I used to enjoy watching high A baseball because 
it was the first level where you got to see kind of everyone, you know, the best college kids, you know, the recent draft picks making their debuts, um, the best high school and international kids who kind of cleared the bar of, you know, complex leagues and low A. Um, it was also kind of the first level where the baseball is like clean enough to like be kind of respectable. Um, so I kind of liked watching high baseball before reorganization because the caliber was solid. You were seeing a lot of, you know, top draft picks and prospects for the first time. They were all playing together. So it was the first time you had a real good feel for, okay, here's how they stack up against each other. Cause a lot of times the best high school kids go to low A at first, but the best college players go to high A first. So you don't really have a great sense of how they would match up post reorganization. That's, that's not the case anymore. Um, the caliber of play in high A has, has dropped dramatically. I think you can argue, you know, double A might be the most enjoyable because again, it's good quality baseball. Um, the high jump to double A is kind of the the grand separator of the minors. So the guys you're seeing there are guys who are good enough that um, they have a real shot. And it's, you know, it's, it's pretty much all, you know, young players. I mean, triple A is a higher caliber of baseball. Don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. Um, but, you know, you'll see some more 30, 31, 32-year-old guys kind of hanging on at the end. It's just not always exciting. So I, I think double A is probably the level now. Um, but to be honest, I, I have found that since reorganization, um, watching minor league baseball in general has been much less enjoyable. That's interesting because I've watched a lot of seeing high A in the Florida, comp- not the complex, excuse me, the Florida league, like the teams in clear, the Threshers in Clearwater, the uh, the Marauders down in Bradenton, et cetera, and also in New York to see the the Brooklyn Cyclones. And I can't, I'm not, I'm a big fan of baseball, but this, the A, just the high A, just the amount of mistakes, this is even before the reorg, as you mentioned, I'm not, I'm really enjoying now double A. I remember last year I went to go see a game with the Bowie Bay Sox. And I I don't want this to be some kind of a work test, but I have a question for you when it comes to one prospect. Because it reminded me, Bowie Bay Sox, double A, the infielder, the Cuban Cesar Prieto, he was promoted to triple A. When are we going to see him in majors? Because I loved, I actually watched Cesar Prieto when he was in the Cuban, what is it called? The Nas- Cuban National League, I think uh, they call it. Cuban National Series, yeah. I used to watch him with, uh, his team was uh, Elefantes de Cienfuegos, the elephants of a hundred, the town of a hundred fires. I love that name. Tell us about Prieto. That That's my little ask of you. Yeah, no, he's a really, really good contact hitter. Uh, he came to the U.S. Uh, for the Olympic qualifiers with Cuba in 2021 in Florida. He defected. It was a huge, huge, huge blow to the Cuban team. Uh, they failed to qualify for the Olympics uh, during that qualifier. And you know, losing him was a big part of that. Um, he can really hit. I mean, again, he's not a huge power guy. Um, it's probably second base only. But uh, again, he can just hit. And there will be a spot for him somewhere. Whether that's in Baltimore or not, you know, we're going to have to see. They have so many good young infield prospects. Um, it's not clear there's going to be room for them. But I, I personally think that if you're a team that has a starting pitcher to offer, the Orioles need starting pitching, he's one of the guys you should absolutely target. I think this has a chance to be a leadoff top the order hitter type who just hits for average, gets on base, and, and is a really, really, really good addition to a big league lineup. I'm a big fan of Pedro. I, I can't wait to see him in majors, like you said, with with this amazing super the the baby the baby birds. I'm very excited. I'm not a Baltimore Orioles fan. I'm a Braves fan, but I love again watching good young teams come up. Kyle, have you ever thought about writing a novel? <laughs> yeah, I, I've thought about writing a book, um, a detective novel, a detective novel. Uh, no, I have not thought about writing. Let me pitch you on this, and then tell us about the book you have in your mind. 
I see you see guys like you doing minor league. You're there. You're a detective. You're not searching for a crime, but you're searching for potential for for future prospects. You go and you and you do your casework. You talk to scouts. You talk to other reporters. You do your own research. You watch videos. And if something comes up, I'm sure it's a big pat on your back. Is like I cracked the case. I found the next uh, Adley Rutschman. I think that's why I think you should write a detective novel. But you're going to be your own man. Tell us about what the book that you want to write. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think for me, I would probably write more of a biography. I'm I'm more of a nonfiction guy, just in terms of even what I enjoy reading. Um, so I think it would probably be finding a really, really, a good biographical subject and, and writing about him. What that is um, at this exact moment, I, I don't have a great subject right now. Uh, I've I've just a little bit swamped with uh, work and having a young daughter and uh, pursuing a graduate degree. So kind of my, uh, my brain power is taken up with all that, but down the road, writing a, a biography or chronicling, you know, uh, an individual team season, you know, something to that effect in the nonfiction realm, that would be what appeals to me most. I think right now, obviously you said your, your plate is overflowing, but I think there's two great stories right now going on with your hometown San Diego Padres of the insane payroll, the wanting to win. That's a great story in itself, whether they end up busting or they end up winning. And I think the Braves are having, the Atlanta Braves are having a phenomenal season. And this is like a two-year run as well. Um, you know, they've won what, like 170 games since that arbitrary date of last year, June, whatever. Anyways, but of course you're a very, very busy man. Because you're a busy man, I'm going to lighten the load on you. I'm going to take you away from your podcast work, from your work at Baseball America. If you were to become the czar of all minor league baseball, what's one or two things that we would expect from czar Glazer? Um, I would get rid of the complex leagues and instead make that rookie ball at affiliates offsite, you know, in a city, you know, bring it back to the Pioneer League. Um, I, I think the complex league play I think the complex league should just, the complex is just be for, you know, skill development, minor leagues, training, et cetera, et cetera. You know, keeping kids there for, for seasons as their only rookie ball experience now before they have to go out to low A. I think it does a really poor job of preparing them for getting out into the world, living on their own, you know, figuring out all the things you have to figure out. And also, I mean, it's just dead. It's not real baseball environments. I think, you know, having the rookie level of play be say in the pioneer league where there's actual stadiums and actual fans and it's not 115 degrees out is going to be a better experience to the players it's going to make it better you know period because fans are actually going to show up as opposed to a couple scouts sitting on metal bleachers you know being miserable watching you know rookie ball um i would i would you're talking about i'm sorry you're talking about the complex league down in florida right and arizona both right. of them let's say get rid of the complex leagues entirely make rookie ball you know again the pioneer league out west and um, maybe bring back the new york penn league out east you know as soon as players are ready to play in real games they get sent out no no complex leagues as an actual league of games i like that and i had never even heard of the complex leagues until i think maybe about eight years ago when you know you probably know the year much better than i do but when the braves ha had signed a very heralded venezuelan third baseman kevin maitan and this yep. was when the Braves were like in the complete teardown. I think this is probably like circa 2015, 16-ish. And there was no good news as a Braves fan. It was always like, well, what's going on in the minor leagues? And that's when I started getting into it because it was very disappointing watching the Braves not win not win at, at the highest level. And I remember going on different websites and people would post grainy videos 
of uh, this this the future uh, the, the the next Chipper Jones. And obviously, as we know, that didn't happen at all because then the issue with John uh, Copalella happened, and he just Kevin my time wasn't that uh, good of a player. Regardless, is there anything else that you would like to see change in a minor league if you had the power to affect it? Yeah, I mean, so a lot of the changes they needed to make, they did uh, this past year in terms of, you know, doubling minor leaguers pay, ensuring they had, you know, safe, stable housing, um, better food. But I, I still think I, I would still like to see uh, more security for these guys. I, I think their pay should be even higher than it is now. Um, you know, you go to some of these minor league facilities in particular, and they're still not not where they you know the quality of, of the clubhouses the quality of the workout facilities um I, I would still like to see them upgraded a little bit and just you know have everything be professionalized a little bit more uh, so you know again higher pay for the players better quality stadiums um and again minor league baseball and, and major league baseball to its credit has improved things but there's still a long way to go speaking of minor league players and not getting paid there are the very very few ones that are coming in with multi-million dollar signing bonuses and the very first person when you talk the first person that came to my mind when you're talking about the low pay the opposite spectrum is someone like Paul Skeens the incoming pitcher from the the national champions LSU Tigers I watched some of their games in the college world series and it was amazing I've heard this somewhere else but I wanted to ask you where I heard someone say that Paul Skeens is going to come in potentially in double a next year and then immediately get promoted to the majors I love baseball. You're a professional. Do you really think that Paul Skeens is that close to pitching to major league batters coming from arguably the best college baseball program, but that's still college? Look, it's a big jump. We have seen the rare pitching prospects of his caliber move pretty quickly. Um, you know, Steven Strasburg go back his first year, he did start at double A, move up to triple A and, you know, reach the majors uh, his first year after being drafted. Um, and there is a sense that Paul Skeens is the rare kind of talent who can make a similarly quick jump. Um, you go back to Mark Pryor, you know, prior to that, no pun intended, you know, he similarly got up to the majors, you know, very, very quickly. He was drafted in 2001, 2002, went straight to double A, a little bit of time at triple A, was in the majors by the end of the year. So we have seen it. It, it wouldn't be unprecedented. It's rare. Um, but but I will say, you know, talking to evaluators throughout baseball, they do see schemes in that Strasburg, you know, prior kind of tier that he could be a guy to potentially have that kind of rise as they did. So in that, if that's the case, if Kyle Glazer says that, then next year I am definitely going to go watch him at the, at the Pittsburgh Pirates double-A. What is a double-A team? Because I know the Marauders are their high uh, Al Altoona. Altoona. Um, yeah. I'm going to go watch them because you said so. You didn't tell me to go watch it, but because of what you're saying, this guy's going to be in the major league soon. I want to go watch him. All of this talk of you were saying that you know the, the minor league baseball players need to be provided better, should be provided better housing, food. We can't do our job without eating. And I love traveling, especially to go see different baseball games. What's a few places that you would recommend when you anyone is in the Los Angeles area, potentially go see Shohei Otani and Mike Trout for the last time, maybe, or going over to the Dodgers or going out of San Diego? Give us a couple of places that you like in the LA area when it comes to food, a drink, coffee. We love local places. Yeah. So uh, in terms of you know LA, so keep in mind, 
the Angels actually play in Anaheim, which is a completely different county. You know, it's not actually LA. People don't realize it. It's an Orange County, completely different fan base, uh, completely different locale. Uh, Artie Miranda just wanted to throw Los Angeles on the name to try and get some of the sponsorship money. Um, but when you're in actual LA, you know, my favorite spot around Dodger Stadium, it's a place called Mexicali Taco. Um, it's, you know, an authentic Northern Mexican style taqueria. And uh, they have these uh, these tacos called a Vampiro Taco, where they add some garlic to it. I mean, it's, oh, it's Spanish for vampire. Yes. Oh, okay. I, I think it's unbelievable. It's, it's one of my absolute favorite. Um, yeah, no, they, they have great aqua frescas. So uh, Mexicali taco, uh, not too far from Dodger stadium is, is my main spot whenever I head out there. Um, button mash is also, uh, you know, a solid kind of like button mash, button mash. It's also <laughs> okay. But okay. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, just like, uh, uh, you know, cool hangout, you know, brewery. It's, it's got like kind of some, I don't know, it's got like kind of a hipster vibe a little bit to it, a little bit like some old school uh, arcade games and stuff in it. But um, oh, it's just, it's just a good spot, good craft beers and, and good food. So um, those are probably the two spots around Dodger stadium. I go to, you know, angel stadium. It's not really in an area surrounded by a lot of great food. Um, it's, it's kind of in like an industrial area almost. Um, I will say my all-time Orange County favorite, and this is, uh, people might laugh at me, but there's a chain out here of like 50s diners called Ruby's that for me has the best milkshakes I've ever had anywhere, any state, um, anywhere. So I remember going there as a kid. Um, yeah, again, it's like a 50s diner, but really it's, it's the milkshakes that make it. I, I still think I have never had a better milkshake than I get at Ruby's. And there's a couple locations throughout SoCal, but they're mostly in Orange County. Down San Diego, man, that's 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 the best spot for eating around the ballpark. Um, that's you know, you're right in the gas lamp. You've got so many great places. Union Kitchen and Tap is is one of my favorite spots. Uh, they have some of the best wings, in my opinion. I always go there and uh get their wings. That that's kind of the specialty there. Um it's really sad. There was a really good fish taco spot called the Tin Fish, but they uh they went out of business uh post-pandemic. So that was kind of a heartbreaker. Yeah, I mean, I think I think those would be my main spots. Like when I go down, those would be all the the spots I hit first. I would say. One more question on the on the Vampiro Taco outside by, by Dodger Stadium. Yeah. So the difference is that it, they they just cut garlic in it because that doesn't sound like your your date dinner. Like you shouldn't be going on a date to Dodger and then order like three Vampiro tacos. Yeah, no, I I would not do that. Yeah, it's like I don't know how they do it because it's like it's like you see garlic like chunks in it i mean it's also like they they stuff it but you don't see it it just it adds a little taste and it, it's perfect it's amazing and like the pollo asado is great the carne asada is great um, the guacamole is great the agua frescas are great um they they just have so much good stuff but the, but the vampiro tacos are my my go-to and talking about baseball one last thing here i noticed that your one of your dogs june had a an instagram account When's the last time you took June to bark at the park, you know, at, at somewhere one of the, or has June ever gone to the base to see a baseball st- uh, game? Um, I have not taken her to bark at the park. Um, she, how should I say this? She's a very, very sweet dog and she is well-trained, um, but she's a little neurotic. Like we just likes to wiggle and shake and, you know, her sitting for, you know, calmly for, five, six, seven innings while there's other dogs and lots of people around um, would not be the best thing for her. She's fine. We take her on hikes to dog beach when she's able to like go out and be active around other people and dogs. She's fine. Asking her to just sit calmly for a few hours. It's 
it's that's a no-go for her um we we adopted a new dog recently named duke uh he would do fine with it we have not taken him yet we've only had him for about four or five months um but he's much more just his demeanor is much more calm much more chill so uh, it's a little hot out here right now I, I haven't taken him this summer uh but he will probably take him if not this year the next year because he can handle it i suggest that june and duke might be might be better off starting in the minors maybe at the complex league nobody's there they're very calm and then you can work their way up to the major league baseball Kyle Glazer, thank you so much for joining us on Last Call Baseball. If you want to tell us where we can find your amazing work uh, all over the internet, please. Yeah, I mean, also subscribe to the magazine Baseball America. You can subscribe today. You know, every single month we put out great issues. Uh, a lot of my work is featured in there. Uh, website is baseballamerica.com. We've got a ton of great stuff there as well. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle A. Glazer. I will still call it Twitter, not X, uh, at Kyle A. Glazer um yeah those are those are the main spots you can find me and uh i'm always happy to talk baseball i want to thank kyle glazer for joining us this week i as i said in, during the interview i'm a big fan of baseball america guys and ladies when october rolls around their playoff recap i think they come they take it out every every day or every few days that is must listen podcast they're I love Baseball America, their channel, the, the, what they write. I'm a big fan of all those guys. So I really appreciate that uh, Kyle Glazer was able to join me. And as I was putting this episode together and recording it as well, I was having a little drink. We still haven't gone away. We haven't gone away from that. One must enjoy life as we enjoy baseball. This week I had a beer called Bootleg Brown Ale from Pickett Brewing Company in Baltimore, Maryland. When I heard... Pickett, Brown, and especially the word bootleg. It reminded me of the Keith Richards 2010 autobiography, Life. And in the book, in Keith Richards' autobiography, he writes about Mississippi playing in the Deep South with all of the guys that he grew up basically idolizing as blues players and, and R&B artists. Keith Moon, Keith Moon, Keith Richard, as far as I know, does not like baseball. But I'm telling you, it's summertime. Everyone's going to be going away to the beach Go to your library, go to online, buy the book, or even do, what is it, a Kindle or your audiobook. Keith Richards, the book Life, fan-freaking-tastic. It would also be pretty cool if you've followed us and left us a rating and review if you want. Thanks for listening to Last Call Baseball. Get home safe.